in an odd spot as far as preaching is concerned because we normally I do series and I like having sermons connect together for bigger, you know, longer term messages like like tied together. But but I'm in the spot where where we might miss a week here out of the blue, and and I don't like missing weeks in the middle or two weeks in the middle of a of a series because it throws everyone off. And so I'm kind of preaching on whatever comes to mind. And so, so for the next few weeks, all the sermons will be schizophrenic, and one of them will be somebody else. Probably, <laughs> probably Larry. So, um, um, as I was looking at what to do um, this this morning, uh, uh, well, I didn't. I wrote it in the beginning of the week. It's not what I was looking at this morning. It's this week, as I was looking at what I was going to talk about, um, I, I got to thinking about uh, the graduates, and I got to thinking about finishing. Um, those of you guys who have, have finished or who are, um, have long since finished, how, how tough is that end bit where you're like sick of doing it? A little bit? I, I just finished uh, seminary. It's five years of school. And I, I, at the very beginning, before I took my first class, I'd been out of school for over a decade. And I, I was so excited to get started that I ordered all the books and read them all before the class started. You know? <laughs> and, and then um, this last class I took, I, I didn't... Com- Completely read every word of every book I had, or any of them. Um, <laughs> I got A's, so you know it's not like I wasn't trying. But but it's funny how you start out, and at the very beginning of things, you can be really passionate, like hyped up, like let's do this, and and you want to do it at a hundred percent. And as days go by, that sort of wears down. You know what I'm talking about? And I see the college kids are all nodding. Um, <laughs> as you get closer and closer and closer to the end, you start getting this point where you're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this forever, I'm sick of it. And, and you go from this place where you're doing this with your whole heart, like you're, you're all about it, to the end where you're, you're just trying to get across the finish line. Um, you, you just, oh, if I could just get there, you know, if I could just finish this, I, everything would be better. Um, can I get an amen? Does anybody know this? Is it just me? <laughs> um, in ancient Greece, they used to do this race. I was looking for examples of this. Um, and, and this was a part of the original Olympics where they would run, and um, instead of giving the award to the guy who finished the race fastest, everybody had a torch. You see the Olympic torch they run with, right? The, the root of that is these guys would run, and they would give the prize to the guy who managed to finish with his torch still lit. So if you took too long, you ran out of gas in the torch, and it would stop burning, right? The, the burnable stuff would disappear. And if you went too fast, you'd blow it out. So the whole trick was, it was like ancient Greece's egg races. You ever do those with the spoon and the egg? You know, and the whole goal was to get there with fire lit, right? And, and with school, I mean, you, you know, the goal is to get the piece of paper and get a job, right? Um, but in, in life, like as we, as we live our lives, as we deal with God, as we deal with our families, as we deal with everything that God puts in front of us, the objective isn't to finish, it's to finish well. It's to finish with that fire still going. Um, because if we get that fire going in the beginning and it goes out along the way, what have we got? And that fire, of course, is our passion for God. It's what God gives us um, that, that makes life worth living. And we're going to be looking at Asa. Um, if you, I'm sorry, if you went to the baccalaureate, you may recognize some of this. Um, but it was a short version versus the long version. Um, <laughs> in uh, Second Chronicles, we, we, we see Asa. He was a king of, of Judah. And this is during a period where Judah was this kingdom there, right? And Israel was in the north. And the Israel, like they were bad guys at this point. And Judah was sort of what was left of God's people. And, and they were this tiny little nation surrounded by people who wanted to kill them. Everybody with me? It's hard to believe that. Like, that that could 
is, is the way it was. Um, at the beginning of his reign, if you want to read this at home, I'm not going through the whole book, um, King Asa started his reign by, by doing religious reformation, right? So he becomes king, and he looks around, and he's like, all right, if God's going to deal with us right, we can't be cheating on it, right? Like, and, and when we worship something that isn't God, it's like spiritual adultery. Does that make sense? Because God wants us to be, like, like singular with him. So if I worship, I don't know, like the golden calf in my yard, God's not okay with that. I don't have a golden calf in my yard. It's just a grill, and that's pretty close. <laughs> wow. So he starts out by instituting religious reforms, and, and he goes out and he has people destroy their idols, and they, have, they get rid of all of the, um, the altars that they used to worship false gods, and they, they um, cut down the Asherah poles, look that up when you get home. Um, they, they get rid of everything that could involve people worshiping things that weren't God. And, and so he starts out strong, right? He starts out and he says, look, if I'm going to be king, I need God on my side, and so this is how I'm going to do it. God is the only ally I need. And so in, in 14, 2 to 7, we see where he does all this reformation, and he starts building up the cities to protect them, because he knows the neighbors hate them. Um, and, and so Asa starts well. Um, he reads all the books before the class starts. He's that guy. A little later, there's this fellow named Zerah. He was from Ethiopia. He was the king of Ethiopia. And he gathered up an army to invade Judah. And this army, what the text says is, they had a million soldiers. Now, in the ancient world, a million soldiers is a lot. I mean, that's the technical term, a lot. I mean, there's a mess of them. There are so many soldiers that no country in the world would reasonably stand against them. Um, maybe some of you saw that, the 300. Don't, don't acknowledge it, it's rated R. Um, <laughs> but, but in the 300, uh, the king of Persia, as he's marching out there, and they're fighting the 300 Spartans, he had a million-ish soldiers, historically. And there are a lot of them, and they were tough. And, and so the king of Persia, like, raided over everyone that was a neighbor. Just wiped them out. And, and the king of Ethiopia has similar ambitions. And Judah is sort of the doorway to the world. If you're going north, you've got to go through it. And they had this thing called the king's highway that ran up the length of the country. And, and you had to use the king's highway to get up into, into um, like, Europe and up into Asia. And so Ethiopia is going through Judah, this tiny little country. And not only do you have a million soldiers, by the way, you had 300 chariots. I know chariots don't sound impressive, but they were the tanks of the time. And to have 300 was an unthinkable number, because they were expensive, and you had to train people to ride them. And you had to have horses, which means you got like 600 horses, at least. I don't keep them. Is that a lot? Like, if you're going through a desert, is that a lot of horses to feed in the desert? I mean, these guys, they are tough. This is the bully that you met on the way to school every week. And you knew he was going to take your lunch money. And he knew he was taking your lunch money because he was bigger and stronger than you. This is the guys that are coming out. And Asa responds, not by going to his neighbors and saying, hey guys, this guy's going to kill all of us. Let's band together and fight. Asa turns around and he says, you know what? There ain't many of us, but if God is on our side, we're going to look at these guys. And so they sacrifice. He starts out his reign with the biggest military threat he could possibly face. And he starts out his reign by sacrificing and offering to God um, Asa called to the Lord and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between pow the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. And Asa won. And he didn't win a little bit. He won bad. 
Like, they chased these guys out of their country, and they never came back. Um, this is the equivalent of, of, you know, the little guy beating up the bully on the way to school. But not just the bully, like 12 of them. Okay? Um, I'm trying to think of similar examples in history. In, in, in modern history, Israel fought, was the seven-day war, or the six-day war, where 5,000 tanks came out of Egypt and fought 12 like like Israel, Israeli tanks, like twelve against five thousand, and Israel won on that par. <laughs> like serious, ridiculous upset. Um, it would be like if if the three hundred had ended with the Spartans winning, and not just winning, chasing the Persians home. Um, and so, like by trusting in God, it proves like it works, and it works great. And Asa's willing to do that because his whole heart is there. He's in this spot where he's like, yeah, let's do this. God is on my side and no one's going to stand against me. And Asa gets older. And the older he gets, he gets to be wise, quote unquote, by the standards of the world, right? Um, and, and as he gets older, he starts looking back and he says, wow, that was great. But you think it worked twice? And he has a chance to test it out as um, his neighbors to the north, Israel, decide they're going to come out and beat. Asa. Now, Israel did not have a big army. There were a lot of them, and they were tough, but they weren't a million. Everybody with me? Um, and Asa, who's about 30 years older at this point, um, looks and he says, well, trusting in God is good, but i got a lot going on now, and i got a lot of responsibility, and there are a lot of people in my country that I know personally, and I don't know if I can really just trust God outright to do this. So we'll, we'll trust God, but we're going to make some allies. And so he goes to a historic enemy, um, and this is in uh, 16, 2 and 3. Uh, then Asa brought out the silver and the gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord, meaning he brought them from the temple. They weren't, it wasn't money for him to spend. Um, and the king's house, and sent him to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. And so what he does, he takes money from, from the treasuries of the temple, which he's not supposed to do, and he takes his own money, and he piles it on up, and he sends it to a neighbor and says, hey, you're to the right of him, we're to the south of him, and we're both against him, they ain't going to fight. And that's what happens. It was a great idea, wasn't it? Except that he did better with less before, because God was on his side. And this time around, he said, well, you know, I'm sure God will help us, but I don't think so, because i got other stuff going on. Um, he started strong, and as time went by, he maybe got tired of it. Maybe, like, like I, I think, actually, as I've been looking at this, um, there are a lot of reasons. But we'll come back to that, actually. So, Hanani is a terrible name, um, and a great title. He's Hanani the seer, um, is a prophet at the time, and he goes to Asa. Um, this is in 7 to 8, from chapter 16. Um, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Uh, were not the Ethiopians and the Lumen an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you, have relied on the, because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. So Hanani goes to him, this prophet, he's speaking for God, he says, Hey, what happened? What's going on? You won before, but you don't trust God anymore. What's going on? 
you know, you could have you could have shocked the world again, but you didn't because you wanted to do it your way. And he goes on and he says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. So one of my favorite lines in the Bible, I'm going to read that twice, just because I'm going to develop myself this morning. Um, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. And from there on, not only did they have wars during Asa's period, but his kids fought wars, and his kids fought wars, and their kids fought wars. And this one decision brought, like, difficulty forever. Um, but it didn't have to be that way. Um, and now his response, right? Because God is merciful. And it's funny, like, David, who had murdered his neighbor so that he could steal his wife, God forgave him and restored him. And, and knowing this legacy... Um, Asa does the only thing he can do. And then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. So he hears this and he gets ticked off and he says, how dare you speak against me? And he, he goes, and actually if you read it in the Hebrew, it's sort of implied that he takes him and puts him in stocks. Like he's bent out of shape. And, they, they, you know, and, and that's how Hanani the seer ends his life. He does what God says and he experiences it. Um, and not only that, Asa goes out and says, well, we're going to go ahead and start pushing everybody around because people need to know I'm in charge. This is a changed man, right? He's a man who started strong. And here's what I think happened. Um, like, no indication is what given. Like, we don't know why Asa fell or why Asa sort of ran out of gas. But before the first battle, he starts with religious reform. He looks at his nation, he looks at his life, and he says, what's not right before God? And he fixes it. And once that was done, I think he just sort of put it on autopilot. A lot of folks do that. They start dealing with God. They start, you know, figuring out, wow, I'm, I'm kind of in rebellion. And, and they start dealing with that. They start, like, like worshiping God. They start praying. They start reading the scriptures. And, and once they're there and they figure, all right, well, I got my ticket punched, they hit the automatic pilot button or cruise control. And they lean back and say, all right, well, on we go. I'm right with God. But we don't do life on cruise control, right? Um, you see a lot of that when, when folks get married. They get married and they're passionately in love with each other and they can't stop thinking about each other. And, you know, they hold the door for each other and they write poems and buy flowers and everything else. And then they get married and they're like, all right, we're married. Now let's, we're done courting. Let's hit autopilot and keep going. And, and it's not that they don't love each other. It's just they stop doing it, right? And over time, it grows colder and colder and colder and colder. And eventually, one day, they wake up and they're like, wow, what happened? I used to love you. What happened? Well, you stopped doing this stuff, right? You stopped chasing after the things that, that you expressed it. And that wholeheartedness sort of ran out of gas. And here you are. Um, age and arrogance. Um, trusting God, like, sometimes seems intelligent when you're young and when you're old and you got a lot to lose. All of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. I got a nice house and I got a big TV. And I got a, how can I possibly give? You know, give things to God. How can I possibly give time to God? How can I possibly? I think that happens. People, as they get older, they they begin to think, well, look at all this stuff I have. Anybody remember being young and poor? There should be a handful of you guys around your hands because you're young. <laughs> and when you're young and poor, I, it's easy to take a leap. Why? Because you got nothing to lose anyway, right? <laughs> when you start having stuff to lose, sometimes it becomes a weighing battle. And you say, well, which do I love more? 
this obedience business or what God's asking from me? Like, which, which am I going to do here? Um, because exclusive trust in God is no easy task, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's something you do for the long haul. It's every day, and you finish well. Uh, it's like school, honestly. You know, if you're going to do school right, you do it every day until you're done. Not the first two semesters and then, you know, wait until you get your, get your diploma. Like, it's, it's the whole business. Um, finishing well is very difficult. And many folks don't do it. Um, Jesus actually talked about this. He says, listen, this is Luke 14, 27, 30. Moreover, whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean, carry your cross? We think of a little gold cross. This was a horrible way to die in that culture that the Romans did to demonstrate that you shouldn't tick them off. Right? They would nail you to a piece of wood and you would hang there for a week or so. You see the pictures of them way high up on, on the cross. It actually isn't how they get it. They put you low to the ground so that wild animals could come along and eat you while you were hanging there. Like, it was supposed to be miserable. It was awful. And Jesus says, listen, every day you need to be willing to do this. You die to yourself every day. Like Asa did in the beginning, right? Asa died to himself. He said, look at all this great stuff that we have. Let's get rid of it because it's not what God wants. And he died to himself in the beginning. And wholeheartedness, easy enough. Later on, you know, a little less of that nine to yourself and a little more of, hey, look how comfortable and awesome life is. And all of a sudden, it gets really hard to be wholehearted. Um, he goes on, he says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build a tower and was not able to finish. Um, the, I'm, I'm practice names, and this one I couldn't practice enough. The Ryung Yong Hotel is in North Korea. Have any of y'all heard about this? It was supposed to be the crowning jewel of North Korea. They were going to show the world how awesome their country was and how like amazing North Korea was. We all think of amazing when we think of North Korea. <laughs> it was supposed to be this crowning jewel. And so they built this 105-story hotel. And it looks like a giant pyramid pointing to the sky. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. And they started in, in 1987. In 1992, they ran out of money. So five years in, they have this 105-story you know, tower with no windows and no walls inside, just the tower. And they had no money. And it went from being this like huge, awesome thing to being like a really big source of embarrassment that other countries made fun of. Because they started building a tower, and they didn't have the wherewithal to finish it. Because they started out thinking, we can do anything. And they didn't calculate how much it would cost them in the long run. Eventually, that embarrassment began to overtake them, and they started building it again. And in 2008, they started constructing, and they put windows on it. And in 2012, they said, we're done, and we're opening. And then they said, well, we're not going to open. We're going to wait a little while. And then, oh, we're going to open. Except we're not ready, and we're going to wait a little longer. And recently, like about a month ago, um, I heard a news story saying they were going to tear it down because it was too embarrassing. But <laughs> they, they got to this point where this thing was just a black eye for them because... It's just a sign that they couldn't finish what they started. What Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about following him. He's talking about this finish well, right? Wholehearted all the way or don't do it. And understand that's the expectation. What God demands of us, what God calls us to be, is in love with him. Um, 
He's so intent on that and so passionately devoted to it that he sends, like he literally sent his son, his only son, who gets tortured to death in our place so that we wouldn't have our sin between us and him because Jesus takes our sin. And all we have to do is be under his lordship. That's it. You know, and so being in Christ, just having faith in Christ and following him, that's it. Heaven, period. Um, in fact, though like, it's not as easy as all that, the book of Hebrews tells us that the true test of salvation is perseverance. Go in the distance, right? How do you know you're saved? Go the distance. You have faith, you're in Christ, and you go the distance. It's not that easy, though. Asa couldn't go the distance. He got comfortable. Fell out of love. A lot of people actually get married and they, they fall out of love because they, they stop investing. Um, God looks for those whose hearts are completely His and He upholds them. Like, our heart is how God measures us. Um, there are people who think if I look good enough and I can manage to not be seen in public smoking a cigarette and I don't hang out at the bar and I don't do this and I don't do that, then God loves me. Sorry, that doesn't work that way. God loves us based on where our heart is. Um, actually, it was 2 Corinthians. If I, even if I go to the, you know, the, the, the fire and get burned to death for God, if I don't have love, I've wasted it. Because God demands our love wholeheartedly. I've used the analogy before, I'm using it today. The same way that we, we look for love from our spouse, right? I don't want to ever get a point where my wife is just sort of in love with me. <laughs> She's sort of, well, I'll stay with you, but I don't even like you anymore. <laughs> Thanks for not saying anything, honey. Because <laughs> we want them to love us with all their hearts, and when it stops happening, it hurts, right? And this is what God looks for from us. The whole series we just did, this Sermon on the Mount stuff, it should be on the internet, right, honey? You could actually go and listen to it. Um, it's all about like how to follow God with your whole heart. This is what God looks for from us. Finish well. Finish with your whole heart. Finish like God's way. With your torch still lit. Um, it doesn't mean we're not going to experience trouble. It doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. So as I close, my challenge for you is um, to check your heart. As you leave here this week, as you, you go through your life, as you do the things you do, check your heart. Look at yourself and say, what does my heart belong to? Um, what's my priority? What are the things that, that are more important to God? Because it's easy to find those things, right? I'm going to tell you, there are days that me being comfortable and having a big TV is more important to me than God. Has anybody else ever wandered into that? No? <laughs> um, but that's not what God's asking for from us. He's asking for us to love Him. And it's not that I can't love my family. It's not that I can't love any other thing. It's that I love them in the context of my love for God. You have sin that just sits in your life and you just ignore it. Um, or are you cleaning it up? Are you doing things to get it out of the way so you can draw, draw closer to Him? Do you pursue Him? Um, or has your love just grown, grown cold? Are you in the spot where it's like, well, whatever? Um, and are your acts of obedience a product of your redeemed heart or simply going through the motions? I mean, do we show up and sit in church and sing because I'm doing it, because this is what's expected of me, my parents want me to do this, and my grandparents want me to do this, and so I'm going to do it, and here we are? Or is this something because your heart is brand new, made that way by, like, God's love, by Jesus dying for us? Um, we're going to close, I think, with one more song, but I'm going to first, uh, I believe we have gifts for graduates. Does that sound right? Um, I'm going to use the piano bench. I have a box.